Where Next for Public Media? On October the 18th, we'll be celebrating the 100th anniversary of the British Broadcasting Corporation's founding. And this centenary is, in effect, a celebration of not just the BBC, but of public service media worldwide. To mark this occasion in this episode of Media Uncovered, we're looking not behind, but ahead. What impact could technology, social media, AI, content platforms, big tech, have on the future of public media? And how should public media use technology to ensure lasting trust, relevancy and value for its audiences? We have to consider the other new media platform in order to move our content to reach very close to our audience. But then again, how much can public service media develop its own ways of being accessible? Public service media is, is such a hub of innovation and great storytelling. I'm Harry Locke, and from the Public Media Alliance, this is Media Uncovered. This episode is a live recording of a panel session hosted by the Public Media Alliance and moderated by me. The session was held in person in Kuala Lumpur in early September as part of the Radio Days Asia Conference. Hello everyone, uh, thanks very much for joining us. My name is Harry Locke, I'm the editorial manager for the Public Media Alliance. We are a global association of public media organisations and uh, we've put together this panel to discuss the future of public media, public radio. We're holding this panel because uh, 100 years ago, next month in, in October, the BBC was founded and so this was a really big event for public media. It was originally known as the British Broadcasting Company and then in 1927 it became the British Broadcasting Corporation and became the public service media organisation we know it we know that it is today. So, so that's why we're sort of reflecting on 100 years and looking ahead. Really pleased to be joined by uh, Sopit Wang Vivatana, Thai PBS Audio Media Manager, uh, Richard Sutherland, Head of News at Radio New Zealand RNZ, and David Hua, Director of Audio and Language Content at the Special Broadcasting Service, SBS. My, my first question to, to all of you is to, I guess, contextualize your organization, your public service media organization within your country, and maybe you could shed some light on some of the challenges that you're facing at the moment. Um, Sopit, can I start, start with you? Good afternoon, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, back to your question is that the challenging of our Thai PBS is also the same as uh, the other country, I think, it, because we try to access to the young generations who are listening to the podcast. But recently in Thailand, mostly I can say more than 70% still remains uh, radio people. The people listen to radio, so uh, it's a transition period for us to try to reach the young generation. Uh, on the other hand, we still have to remain our high expectation value for the other generations, like uh, they know me, they know us as a public service for some other generations too. Transferring from radio, from the old media into the new media, in social media this day is our big challenge. So Radio New Zealand is the non-commercial public broadcaster in New Zealand. It's been going for probably about 70, 75 years. It faces the same challenge that I think most uh, people in the live audio business face at the moment, which is attention, keeping the attention of, of the audience. 
we're also facing some challenge in that we are about to be uh, merged with a um, te television operation, which is uh, TVNZ, very original names, and um, that's uh, due to happen in uh, March of next year. So for us, we have the challenge of maintaining our public service output while at the same time preparing for a merger with a government-owned television station, which is actually a commercially uh, funded model. So there's going to be some challenges there and, and a lot of opportunities, but that's probably the, the, the biggest thing on our radar at the moment at uh, Radio New Zealand. Thanks. Uh, I'm David Hua from the Special Broadcasting Service in Australia. Just a bit of um, an explanation about what it is that we do at SBS and what makes us so special. Uh, we actually publish content in over 60 languages, including broadcasting on radio and podcasts, social media and the like. It's all, all of the content and all of the services that we produce are for Australian um, language speakers. So, for example, I was speaking to Sopit, and uh, we have a Thai service, and it's for the, you know, the thousands of Thai people who live in Australia who speak the language, and the content is all about how we can actually keep people informed and how we can actually offer all Australians an opportunity to be as successful as they would like to be. So complete access to information and the like. SBS's origin story actually starts out in 1975 and the government at the time funded two radio stations in Sydney and Melbourne to roll out a healthcare service. We were just rolling out a Medibank Medicare service and people didn't know how to go and see a doctor, people didn't know how to go, and go to the hospital and it was really, really important to get that messaging out there. So very, very core kind of public interest commission. It's been, it's now an independent, editorially independent media organisation. It gets about two thirds of its funding from taxpayers and about one third of its funding through commercial activities. So it's a hybrid funded model. All of the challenges that SBS faces as an organisation and particularly in terms of the audio and radio output are exactly the sorts of stuff that we've been hearing about over the last few days. But in addition to the specialist challenges of being a public service media organisation. Can I pick up there because I guess SBS has this enormous challenge of having to cater and, and serve so many communities that are so different in terms of their needs and, and what sort of content they consume and, and, and how they want to consume it. How, how do you manage to reach all those people and, and it must have to, you must have to be really nuanced? Yeah, it, it does feel as though all of the disruption that we've been talking about with regards to platform disruption and different social media channels and the like, that's all very much amplified at a place like SBS um, and in the team that we've got because you've got social media preferences of some communities over others and how do you actually manage the prioritization of that is extraordinarily important. In some communities it's absolutely a Facebook world, in other communities it's a cacao talk world, that's for Korean speakers, in other communities it is Facebook or Instagram or TikTok and the like and how do we actually manage that editorially as well as operationally presents us with a multitude of a matrix of kind of um, challenges. But the way in which we endeavour to shape our services in order to best fit our audiences are that we actually use the census 
in Australia. So every five years we do a people count and as part of the census, the government actually asks people what languages they speak at home. And so SBS uses that as well as data about um, household income, as well as data about age, as well as data about uh, fluency in English to actually help us determine what a need factor is for our audiences so that with the limited funds that we actually have, we invest in the right sorts of languages. So our largest speaking communities are Arabic and Mandarin speakers and in Mandarin in Australia, about 600,000 speakers. Our smallest languages that we serve include Mongolian and there's about 5,000 speakers of Mongolian in Australia. But we do commit to a language service in Mongolia Mongolian to, to endeavour to help people settle, be as successful as they might um, possibly be. And I guess looking ahead, that must be, you know, you're going to have to keep doing this because consumption habits are going to change and, and that's just going to be the future. R Richard, if I, if I come back to you and, and this new media entity that, that you, you, um, you described there, the Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media, can you talk to me about the purpose of it? Like, what is that going to be able to do that Radio New Zealand and TV New Zealand wouldn't be able to do in their own right? And, and, and why is that going to be necessary for the future? Sure, well, I think in many ways it's back to the future, bringing together radio and television. I mean, for a long time uh, in the 50s, 60s and 70s, there was the New Zealand Broadcasting Corporation, which was TV and radio. Uh, and then for a number of reasons, it, it ended up being split. And now the government of the day has decided that the best use of all its media assets is to put it all in one basket and come up with an organisation that really has enough scale to deal with whatever is about to hit us. Uh, if COVID has taught us one thing, it's the importance of having a public service media that has big resources, big scale and big audiences. And uh, I think that the government's view is that it wants a big organisation that can withstand whatever is going to happen in the next five to ten years. Um, you'd have to say that when you look at the two parts of the new public media entity, one part is television, gets all its funding, the bulk of its funding through commercials, linear television is in a slow decline, uh, ad revenue is in a slow decline, so if it wants to keep a strong television service going, the government has decided it needs to fund it. Radio New Zealand uh, is obviously the smaller of the two parties, but it still has very strong audiences. But again, it's primarily a radio uh, operation at the moment with a very large website. And the government has decided, well, look, let's just put everything in one big, um, one big box, fund it. It's funding it to the tune of about $100 million a year, which for New Zealand is a significant chunk of change. And it's really about resilience and relevancy and giving something of scale that can speak to the whole New Zealand audience. So that's pretty much, I think, what, what the government's um, thinking is on that point. Yeah, and, and, and you say the funding, I mean, what does RNZ gets now and they're, they're, what, well, they're having to like, triple it or something? Um, I'm going to go out on the limb here and say, I think we get about 44 million New Zealand dollars a year uh, and that funds all our services. Uh, the bulk of that goes on news and transmission. Um, I'm very envious of the previous speaker who said that they'd sold off all their transmission arms <laughs> earlier because that takes up a lot of our money and a lot of our capital. But the government has decided that, um, you know, bring the two organisations together and hopefully two plus two will equal five. And <laughs> um, stop it back to you. And I think, you know, we've been having this talk about audio versus radio or, or how they complement each other and work together. But Thai PBS doesn't actually have a radio station. So how, as an organization, have you managed to 
be accessible and be a, a presence for, for the Thai public to be able to you know, access independent, impartial news which Thai PBS provides. Thai PBS actually very, very new because we are just only 14 years this year. We established since uh, 15 January 2008 on our own act. Our, our organization have to have committed to serve the document, uh, entertainment, and uh, some good information to the society. The, the thing is that broadcasting means uh, including television, uh, video, and also audio. The problem is that at that time in Thailand, they already had the owner of the frequency on radio, so no no, no, either, either one station left for us because uh, we, we established later. So we solved that problem by, we set up the radio online, online radio for the audience. And that is a big problem because as I mentioned before that most of the Thai people reach radio, not for the social media, not for the old media, uh, the, the new media at that time. So not surprised. When back at to, to that day, that uh, when we asked the Thai people, do you know that Thai PBS already have the radio online? Most of them, I can say that more than 90% they said no. They didn't know and they didn't acknowledge that a Thai PBS not only for TV, it means that also have the radio. But the digital disruption, I can say that it might be an opportunity for us too because when podcasts came, when internet uh, quite well and people know a lot about the new application, Facebook, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Plotbean, uh, Google, Apple Podcasts and also YouTube means that uh, it's our opportunity to uh, create a good program on audio and send to the people around the country. So I can say that till now, we uh, solved that problem by we focusing on podcasts first in this year. And I can say in Thailand that uh, within five years, it's just a new coming uh, about this kind of the new and the digital uh, applications, especially for podcasts. So I can say that uh, these, there isn't at the moment not much people who know podcasts, just only for the big city or uh, Big cities mean Bangkok and the other uh, city in every regions, and mostly to be the young adult who who listen to podcasts. But the, the rest, more than seventy percent something, I think, still on radio. That's why uh, I can say that this is my challenge. And another thing that uh, refer to both of you mentioned, we also have another challenge. It means that the limited budget for us because a Thai PBS is the first public service broadcasting in Thailand. It means uh, TV and radio. But this, this time, we also have another product. For example, an online product website serve uh, like entertainment, like Netflix, something like that. Uh, the, the program, uh, the dramas uh, show on our Thai PBS. Uh, you can watch back later on our website. And the other one is that we set another one TV stations serve as education station to support uh, the, the education uh, sector of the government to reach like uh, the other media for the students to, to learn about that. So a lot of product uh, come up. Then in the limited budget, we receive uh, the 
funding from tobacco and alcohol tax uh, 2%, approximately around $55 million, something. So uh, since the first one starts, that's only uh, expectation to media, but these days more than five or six media in the same budget. That's uh, our challenge. And uh, back to your question that uh, we approach online media platform in order to access to our audience on audio. But the, you know, still so many Thai people are using radio as a way to, to be able to get news. So, so, so uh, you, that you, one, yeah. we, we also have another solutions because till this day we still are not have any FM frequency for our audio. We mainly on podcast. By the way, because Thai PBAs have a lot of uh, our networking uh, in our academic community radio and the other NGOs or non-commercial non partners. So uh, the way we do is that we provide our program free of charge for the community radio all over the country. At that time, it more than uh, thousand something. But after podcast came and the new technology is reduced uh, and the education uh, radio station out of Bangkok, uh, till now, more than 2,000 radio stations on FM all over the country receive some of our program to rebroadcast on their stations. This is a way that we can claim that even though we didn't have the FM frequency, it doesn't matter because we have another way out in order to bring our program to the audience all over the country for Thai people or the people who can understand Thai language. I think from all three of you, we've heard that you know, public service media is having to really take to these new platforms. And obviously, we've been hearing that all throughout today and over the past two days as well. What I'm interested in is public service media organizations, whether you have to consider you know, the, the value, whether your values necessarily align with the, the values of these social media platforms or, or, the, or the, the, the content platforms that you're having to use to be able to reach audiences. I mean, is there ever going to be a case when to, to sort of be able to ensure public media does stick around for the future? It, you know, is it ever going to have to compromise on its own values to, to be on these platforms at all? I don't know, David? I think uh, the on-platform, off-platform debate, it's a bit like a pendulum. You know, how much do you just put on uh, a third-party platform versus how much do you invest on the infrastructure to publish it on your own platform and how much is a mixture of the two and how much of it can you actually utilise third-party platforms in order to draw people back to your home platform and then of course hopefully generate some revenue out of it as well. It's so different and algorithms change all the time which uh, impact on the decisions that you might make at any one, one period of time. And you know, things like Facebook turning off news which it did in Australia in February last year, was a real eye-opener for a lot of um, organisations because many of us relied on Facebook as being actually 33% of the referrals back to our website, but because it was switched off, it's like that tap's just been turned off automatically. And so that meant a lot of soul-searching and a lot of thinking about, well, reading the fine print and the terms of use on all of these third-party platforms and going, what's the value and how do we assess that against um, our public service values? Difficult and not necessarily a one-size-fits-all decision-making answer for every situation, but generally speaking, absolutely need to have some sort of presence 
and put a stake in the ground that gives audiences a place to go to that is absolutely trusted and that is on your own terms, which is very, very useful. Well, Radio New Zealand uh, about four or five years ago adopted what it termed a, a radical sharing policy for a lot of our content and the bulk of our content is news and I'm not just saying that because I'm the news guy but um, we basically said we would share our content with anyone who um, was a, a credible uh, news agency or a, a website or, or something like that and um, what we found was that our um, ratings went up through the roof and I'm, I'm talking here about online figures uh, we have a about 15% of the radio audience, but once we started tapping into that radical sharing of our content online, we just saw our numbers go through the roof in the digital sense. And I guess that does lead up to the, to the question, which is, do you share it with everyone? And we're probably at that point now where we are sharing it with all the mainstream players in New Zealand. The only uh, caveat we have is that you must make it in front of a paywall, it can't be behind a paywall. In terms of platforms, I think the only platform that we're not really on is, is TikTok, and that might speak more about the age of the executives making the decisions at RNZ than anything else. But um, we really try not to get too involved in running the ruler over the morals of a particular platform. Uh, our view is that we need to go where the audience are and get to them. Um, my personal view is that as a taxpayer-funded um, media entity, we, we have an obligation to try to get the material that the taxpayers have paid for in front of them, wherever they are, rather than expecting them to come to us. Just recent, recently in Thailand, they have the survey. It confirmed that trust is the word that more important, and so the survey's result said that Thai PBS is the number one of the TV station that the Thai people trust when they want to find some information, some fact, or some news related to uh, our our work. It means when I when I saying this, it means that I including the Thai PBS TV and other media also. So that uh, as you were asked, I think that. Thai PBS can gain can get the trust from the audience. So when we move from the old media to the new media, it doesn't matter. We still continue our value of public service in this uh, direction. By the way, the thing is that we have to improve ourselves and learn more in order to adapt for the new technology to our media. For example, recently, recently our board of uh, directors said that uh, we're going to move our organization non-TV centric. It means that we have to consider the other uh, new media platform in order to uh, move our content to reach very close to our audience in every platform. But uh, in my opinion, I think that we have to consider, it, it doesn't mean that uh, we have to push ourselves in every platform. For example, TikTok is very well known and lots of the young generations uh, in there. But somehow we have to consider not all the Thai PBS contents <laughs> show on the TikTok or some, something like that. I think, you know, trust is huge, right, for public service media, and a lot of studies point to the fact that in, in media ecosystems across countries, in many cases, not all cases, obviously, but in many cases, the public service media organization is number one. Richard, if I go back to you, and, and you know, so, social media 
is in some ways responsible for a lot of the mis and disinformation that is being shared and for maybe polarization within communities. Is it better to be on the places where that information is circling? Because I know in New Zealand, for example, stuff decided to pull back, pull out of Facebook, I think for, for along those sort of lines of reasoning. But, but is it just so important that people who are on these platforms have access to a trusted news source? Yeah, I mean, that, that's why we're funded. I mean, the, the bulk of our output is news. Um, biggest part of the budget is news and so we need to get to those people we need to go on those places and so if, if you know there's a lot of disinformation on social media the best place to confront it is to go on social media and and you're quite right I mean public service um, organizations do tend to have the highest trust I mean RNZ has the highest trust ratings in, in New Zealand in terms of media outlets and that's something that we guard very fiercely I, I guess you need to use the currency that you have from that high trust model and take that to where the disinformation is and try to confront the lies that are going around on social media. There's no point retreating from it. You need to confront it. Otherwise, you are effectively ceding the ground to them. Why are you not on TikTok yet? Is that an ethical consideration or just, just <laughs> uh, look, understanding I, the platform? I, I, I think uh, it would be fair to say that... Um, we aren't on TikTok because we simply have so much other stuff we're, we're trying to do. And I think when you're a relatively small player, you need to focus very hard on doing what you're doing really well where you can do it really well. I think TikTok at the moment is just a bridge too far for us. There may be some views that politically it might be not the place to be as well, but uh, that's probably not the main consideration for us. At the moment, it's a resourcing issue. Yeah, and it's not quite a, as simple as the cope model which is create once and publish everywhere anymore you know um, you really do have to have bespoke strategies for different platforms and TikTok is is something that you can't just you know hey look here's a a, a thing that you did on your radio breakfast show and it's just going to work perfectly on TikTok sometimes it can work sometimes it has to be really well engineered and you've got to have a good social media producer and a good strategy in order to really make it fly and as per the previous speaker as well on social media sometimes it's important but it's not the only thing and you've got to be discerning about what it is that you're going to be doing. With regards to the trust factor in social media, during the pandemic last year and I'm really sorry to bring up COVID-19, what SBS did was we live interpreted um, some of the press conferences that our leaders and our health professionals would were having around the restrictions that were taking place, around what, the, what was happening with the virus and so on. You see this sort of activity happening at the United Nations or at international conferences like this one, where there are so many different delegates speaking different languages and then having an earpiece with the their preferred language going in to translate what the speakers are actually saying. Well, SBS actually did that in 10 languages for our audiences and primarily we published that through social media to Richard's point exactly just to kind of debunk some of the misinformation that was happening or rather to actually make sure that the information as it was going out from the mouths of leaders and of health professionals was accurate at that precise moment. And what was really interesting about it was not just the fact that it was useful in its own right for the audiences and that other in-language media was using it as a source, as a trusted source, but it was also useful, the conversation that you actually see happening between the audience. So, for example, with Vietnamese Channel, 
there was conversation of, between people talking about the vaccination in Australia. And the vaccination is free in Australia. And the conversation between audience members was, oh, in Vietnam, you actually have to pay a lot of money and in some cases actually really try and hustle your way to try and get a vaccine. In Australia, it's free. What are we actually all waiting for? And that sort of conversation moderated through an SBS experience, which is a trusted experience, is what actually ends up changing behaviours, especially at a time where people have been so entrenched in their own kind of worldviews. That feeds on, well, I think next door there is currently a talk going on about AI and, and what AI might look like in the future. And, and does AI worry you in terms of translation software and, and its ability to, I mean, would that ever, people could argue that you just throw that on an, on an ABC article, translate it into loads of different languages, hey, what's the point in SBS? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question and I think that you actually have to go first to the ethics of artificial intelligence and where it is that you actually want to be playing in this space, where it actually helps your team and helps the audiences and where it is that ultimately will disadvantage the community and disadvantage your teams. It's a very, very complex discussion and not enough time in this panel to talk about it, which is my excuse to not give a, an, an answer necessarily. But where I would kind of see it working is how we can use tools that actually enable us to free up more creative producer time. How can we actually use, you know, image production tools or translation tools? And we already use, you know, Google Translate to help with some of the um, re-expression of news articles, for example. And then we have to apply, of course, a cultural layer because Google Translate is actually not great for those um, who speak more than one language in the room, you would know this, and how it then enables us as producers and as humans to do what at this point in time we think only humans can still do, which is to be creative. So that's kind of where I see the opportunities versus the decision making around when to use and when to um, be really cognizant of the pitfalls. Richard, if I just quickly talk to you because collaboration in New Zealand, you talked about the content sharing agreement, but, but for this new entity within the charter, collaboration is, is baked in, right? That's absolutely right. And uh, I guess one point I'd like to make about public media is that there is, I think, uh, a perception that somehow it needs to do everything that everyone else isn't doing and not worry about competing for the quote-unquote mainstream audience. Uh, I'm very much of the view that, again, to my earlier um, comment, that the taxpayers of New Zealand have funded RNZ Radio New Zealand, therefore they have a right to expect to hear something or read something and, and get their money's worth. So I think you can compete, and we do compete quite vigorously. Uh, I think our website is the third um, largest or fourth largest, depending on the month, in terms of news. Our radio station, our main radio station, is uh, a very solid number two in the market and number one in some, some towns. So we do compete quite aggressively, but we also collaborate quite aggressively uh, through our content sharing. And you're quite right, um, the legislation setting up the new public media entity does say you will play nicely with the other kids. And so that's what we intend to do. And we think that that is uh, a useful, again, a useful way of the entire country getting, getting the maximum use of the money that it's spending on, on public media. Stop it. I, I think 
with Thai PBS, obviously in, in a position where it's, it's the, the, the national public broadcaster, but in a field where perhaps the other broadcasters don't necessarily get the level of independence and, and ability to be analysing and, and looking into uh, authorities and, and holding them to account. Are you optimistic for the future that Thai PBS and, and its you know, ability to be that organisation will continue? And you know, if we think about radio, for example, that is somewhere where maybe you should be if, if you're given a licence. Does that look hopeful to you? Yeah, I still optimistic, and I think in every problem and every crisis also have an opportunity. You have to find it. Uh, during these day, uh, the National Broadcasting Telecommunications Committee still not uh, finished the plan for media reform yet, uh, especially for the audio media. They already been done for the t- television, but not yet. It means that in the future. They will open for the people who want to apply for the license uh, to be the radio say, to, 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 to run the radio station or something. And because this is a transition period in Thailand from people from radio to the audio media, the new media. So it our duty, Thai PBS podcast, we have to apply for that. But I think that we should get along with the new technology. And even though we have some other new technology, it, it will be benefit and useful for us to use that. For example, now we are on uh, text to speech and speech to text trial in, in Thai PBS also. I just wanted to also just really um, lift the tone a little bit with regards to public service media. Public service media is, is such a hub of innovation and great storytelling right across the world. And I think in terms of the function that we've got and the ability that we've got to innovate in spaces like um, video on demand, in podcasting, in um, different content formats and so many other um, ways, I'm actually really buoyed by the fact that we actually have the privilege of working in public service media and it doesn't equate to being heritage, it doesn't, and it doesn't equate to just necessarily being old, um, so on and so forth. Not that neither, either of those things are bad things, but uh, there's a real spirit of really wanting to serve, serve the public, and that includes through um, evolution and through regeneration. Thank you very much to all of you. That's our time up. My huge thanks to the guests on the panel, David Hua of SBS, Richard Sutherland of RNZ and Sopit Vivatana of Thai PBS. I'm really grateful to Anders Held and the entire Radio Days Asia team in organising the conference and allowing this session to be used for our podcast. As always, thanks to Rachel Still and Lucas Thompson for the music. On October the 18th, we'll be marking the centenary of public media and we'd love you all to get involved. Send us voice notes, videos, messages about what public media means to you. You can email that to editor at publicmediaralliance.org. And you can celebrate the day on social media using the hashtag 100 years of PSM. Remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast and share with friends and colleagues. If you want to find out more about the Public Media Alliance, you can head to our website or you can follow us on social media. We also send out a weekly newsletter every Tuesday, so you can sign up for that by heading to our website. We'll be back with a new episode next month.